0: What is phonology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious money merits study.
1: Welcome back! In today's What Is Finology podcast, our guest Dick Fodra and I are talking about what Dick calls worldview two, which is the state of the world after climate change has taken hold. Dick and I are asking how we as people might handle the transition, and how money fits in. We're glad that you're here.
0: What is Finology? Here we explore our personal relationships with money, money's nature, and how we exchange value in daily life. Grounding ourselves in the liberal arts, we explore Financial Planning 3.0 from the inside out. Addressing money as the most powerful and pervasive secular force on the planet. Mysterious Money Merits Study.
1: Hi, this is Jake Wagner, co-founder of the What Is Phynology Project. If you're new here,
0: we highly encourage you to listen to episode zero, in which we share where the project started, where we're going, and some of the intellectual basis that we've used to build our body of work. We are grateful that you are a part of the conversation. Please visit
1: www.whatisfynology.org to share your comments and questions. Now, back to the episode. So back to dad's belief that uh-huh. money is this bedrock of essentially every human interaction. And those words are fairly close to his from the book. What I'm hearing from you is that as the world changes, you see a lot of... Well, okay, maybe not exactly what I'm hearing. Where I'm taking that is that potentially that physical manifestation of economics that is this bedrock of, of interaction could break down with this huge transition into an entirely different world and that potentially we need to be looking at resources and other forms of wealth outside of money in order to navigate this the world potentially turning kind of upside down because do you think money itself as a system as a global system is likely to change considerably
0: yes there are lots of two points first there are lots of forms of wealth and we tend too narrowly to define it in Mm -hmm. financial terms wealth is simply i mean it comes from the word meaning earth and it was basically you know where you stand what you own what what produces life affluence comes from the word for flow and it's sort of Uh you know the money flowing through your fingers so people can be affluent but not wealthy but if you look at what strong communities have done over time you're talking about social capital the community that you live with spiritual capital the, the strength of your soul and your relationship to higher powers if that's what you believe in or just psychological strength, real resources, real wealth. Do you, you know, do you Mm -hmm. own stuff as opposed to money, physical, personal capital, health capital? Uh, Are you healthy? Do you take care of yourself? Do you have a family that you can rely on, whether it's your biological Mm -hmm. family or your friends or your other network? And most of those are not financial. And it's interesting that while we talk a lot about making a living, what we try to do often is, you know, why do you want to retire so that I can do all the things that I want to do, so that I can volunteer, so that I can be in nature, so that I can do things that don't involve money. And I think it's interesting that we spend our lives trying to accumulate enough money so that we hmm. can live a life that doesn't require it. So, you know, you go to church and yes, you may, you know, probably should, you know, pay your your money into the contribution plate or tithe or, or whatever your Your statement is, but that's not primarily a financial activity. It takes money to keep the doors open, but you don't go there because of the financial relationship. You go there because of the spiritual relationship and the community relationship that you have there. I've often felt that the most important things in church happen in the church basement rather than the sanctuary because that's where people get together and you know support each other and have the potluck suppers. And we've gone to, you know, from a world where you had potluck suppers to a world where everybody goes out to eat and pays money. So I think we've over-financialized the world. Okay. Money is necessary. We have over-financialized wealth and we've over-financialized the world.
1: Yeah. Oh, interesting.
0: Because if you don't have money in today's world, you're out of luck. Whereas a hundred years ago, there were more social networks to take care of you. So money on balance has been a great thing. Money as the primary primary medium of society, I think has not necessarily been a great thing.
1: So as a young middle-aged person with a young family, looking at the many, many different possibilities down the road, one thing that I'm taking away from this is that I need to be putting in a very serious effort to cultivate my wealth outside of financial wealth. And that there's a very good chance that those are going to be more valuable resources. And that's a place that it's wonderful to be sending money to my IRA every month. Fine. Nothing wrong with that. Continue to do it. But Putting all of our resources eggs, so to speak, into the financial basket is potentially a phonological mistake. Does that does that ring right?
0: Yes. And if you if the world collapses down to the size of your community, the way it often does, think of a post-war world where, you know, after the World War Two in Europe or after the Napoleonic Wars or whatever, where the, the national power sort of collapses and we're we're back to a community basis you know the people who could make shoes or grow crops or tell fortunes or you know whatever those are skills that people will value in their community somebody who can offer ipos may not have a lot of value 10 years from now or be much less of a value than so yes you need both but I think that people tend to spend more time on the either the virtual, you know, in front of a screen or the financial at the expense of these other skills that just being outside, knowing how to, how to cope in bad weather. You know, think of a world and in California this summer, as an example, Pacific Gas and Electric, the main utility in California, has announced that when the situation gets dangerous for fires, They're going to preemptively turn off the power so that if a electric line breaks, it won't start a forest fire like so many of the, I think, seven or eight of the major forest fires in the last couple of years have started because of interactions between the electric system and the the trees or brush. So they've said, if things get dangerous, we're going to turn off the power, potentially for a week. Well, are you prepared, you generically or you specifically, Mm -hmm. are you prepared for the lights to go out for a week?
1: That's right.
0: You know, and your IRA is not going to help you in that situation. And maybe a generator would help you for a while. But, you know, we just as continuing that example, we could have built houses that had two electric lines into them. One for a refrigerator and a heat and something, you know, for half the power and the other half for everything else you do. So that you could have a generator that would keep emergency services on, while Mm -hmm. the rest of you lived with, you know, in the dark and flashlights, and you go to bed when it gets dark outside. Uh, But we didn't build those houses, just like we didn't build houses with, you know, two plumbing systems like they have in Las Vegas now—one for drinking water, and one for less pure water that you can use for watering your lawn. So what we do is we use the best water in the world. To water water your bushes in the desert instead of keeping it for you know uses that we need pure water for you know we didn't think ahead and said what you know mm. what do we need mm. quality resources for and what can we use other things for mm. and we spent the last 50 years building the wrong america where everybody you can't do anything without a car of uh, in many many parts of the country because we zoned it that way so we don't want gas stations and 7-elevens in your neighborhood So, or schools within walking distance, we want everybody to have to get into a vehicle to do anything they want to do in life. We didn't even put in sidewalks. So now we're saying, gee, maybe we should have, you know, put in bike lanes, but we didn't do that the first time. So think about what could happen. And for some of those things, money will be useful. For some of those things, you know, other Creativity will be useful.
1: Well, I think it's important to point out that one of the natures of money is that it doesn't hold inherent value. It holds projected value and it holds value in its ability to be converted into something with real value. But you cannot eat money. You cannot sleep inside of money. It will not keep you warm when it's cold outside. And therefore, if the world stops projecting value onto money it's instantaneously worthless yes so
0: and uh, go ahead
1: if we're potentially living into a world where the financial system has potential to break down to fall out from underneath we do really need to be for our final logical futures we need to be cultivating Our connection to real resources so food how do we stay warm when it's cold outside how do we continue to care for our children whatnot if money suddenly becomes not a means to those ends
0: right yeah essentially money is some people have have simply defined it as money is a claim on future energy if the energy isn't there then it doesn't matter how much money Mm -hmm. you have if you have a lot of money and there's no food in the grocery stores or in your on your farm or wherever you happen to live, well, that money, is, you said, you can't eat that, and it's not going to be terribly useful. The top one percent of the one percent, they may have lots of money. That's right. But again, they're relying on having guards, and we hope right. they hope that the guards continue to point their guns outward, which has not historically always been the case. So I think that the if we started to realize this at an emotional fundamental level then we could start rebuilding our lives and our societies so Mm -hmm. that we would be better more resilient toward the kinds (laughs) of changes that might happen the problem that we face in that is that there's no money in it if you if you get to the point of you know if you set up a a neighborhood um, Clothing bank, so that your kids who are how old are your twins?
1: Uh, the twins will be two in September, and Bradley will be seven on Saturday.
0: Well, congratulations to Bradley. But if you joined a you know community uh, clothing exchange, and you put Bradley's clothes into the box when you know that he doesn't fit into anymore, and somebody who's got a five or six year old takes them out, and their clothes you know your twins are going to use in a year or two. That's a great system unless you're selling clothes Mm -hmm. uh, or making clothes. So we have to have a system where, and the people who therefore have a lot of money, the people who own the building that the clothing store is in, the people who own the shipping company that moves the clothes from Vietnam to here, the people who own the uh, TV stations that rely on advertising from clothing sellers, Uh, all of those people are going to be unhappy. And those are the people who tend to finance, among other things, they tend to finance the elections of people Mm. who are making decisions. So you look at it and you say, okay, we're going to do this thing, which is environmentally sound, and we are going to destroy the economy in the process because the economy is going to be destroyed anyway. We're trying to get ready, but tell that to the guy who just got laid off. So it's a it's not an easy choice uh, at an individual level it is an easy choice but when you add up you know one of the first things you learn in economics class is what makes sense for one person may not make sense for a million people if you decide to make things better for yourself and save an extra ten percent of your income that's great if everybody in your town does that it's called a recession right. so the economics of transitioning backwards. And if we cut, you know, transitioning backwards isn't easy. It's not a disaster. It doesn't have to be. I mean, in 1957, uh, John Kenneth Galbraith wrote a very famous book on economics called The Affluent Society, and talking about how, how our values are affected by the tremendous level of affluence that, you know, Americans had. And that was a world before we had one black and white television, no color television per house, usually one, the average house size is about 1,200 square feet, one car, not two, not to mention the you know, unfortunate things that women couldn't get jobs, blacks were, were still being lynched, and you know, we were not a terribly happy place uh, if you weren't in the exactly right demographic. But that was a world in which we used probably a quarter of the physical resources per person Mm -hmm. that we use now and at that time we thought it was an affluent society so you know cutting back doesn't mean everybody starves you know everybody freezes to death in the dark but we need to plan if we're going to do that and that's sort of what i decided i could do better than trying to work with one client at a time who didn't really want to hear that message
1: Well, and there are intrinsic contradictions here that right now, today, we are leaning against money as a bedrock. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And one of the things I heard with that clothing example is that there is a conflict between efficient energy use and driving the economy. It's clearly ultimately more efficient to use already made clothing, continue to hand them down from person to person according to usefulness. But unfortunately, that energy efficiency has an effect of de energizing the economy, which has a very felt effect today. Yes. So And go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead.
0: No, I think that the the challenge the transition is always a challenge. And one of the advantages, as, as your father would talk about, the role of money, it's a lot more efficient for you to take some of your money and buy clothes for your twins at the store that have been made in Nicaragua or Vietnam or Bangladesh or South Carolina than it would be for you to you know, raise the sheep, Card the wool, spin the fiber, and do what your great 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 grandmother used to do, which was basically a non you know non financial transaction. It's a lot more efficient for you to work for you know an hour and make enough money to to keep your kids in clothes for months than to try to do the amount of work it would take to you know wash the clothes, make the butter, make the fabric, you know all the rest of the things that we did when we were very poor. Uh, yeah, so not to
1: if, mention learning how to do it.
0: Well, you got that problem too, but that's just because <laughs> your great-great-grandmother didn't stay around long enough to teach you, which was very inconsiderate on her part. <laughs> so I think that that's what we have, as I said before, is is wonderful. I don't have any moral objections to living well. I think it's wonderful that in a few weeks I'm going to be able to fly out to Seattle to see my granddaughters. And, you know, and, and go out in and, and September to, to the Nasruddin meeting in Oklahoma. I mean, it's wonderful to be able to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with being able to do that. It's just that it's not going to be possible very long to do that. And the more I do it and the more everybody else does it, the faster it becomes impossible. And if you've been on an airplane lately, you know that there's lots of people visiting their grandmothers or going to business meetings or doing whatever it is they're doing because you know every plane i've been on for the last few years has been full
1: yeah
0: the hotels are full and they keep building more of them you know we have a you know a, a wonderful life that is consuming more resources than we will be able to produce in a few you know and and we're already reaching you know for parts of the world we're already reaching uh, limits yeah and uh it keeps getting and we and we keep getting tighter and for instance instead of keeping up our roads and infrastructure we kind of try to defer maintenance and my wife has a soybean allergy and when we go out to eat it is very hard to find food particularly at a reasonably priced restaurant that doesn't have soybean oil because soybean oil is a lot cheaper than olive oil or canola oil so everybody has we looked at the allergen list for several major restaurant chains that are, you know, and basically the salt and pepper don't have soy in them, but pretty much everything else does. Mm -hmm. And because it's cheap Mm -hmm. and we can get cheap calories if we just downgrade a little bit and we can let the roads go a little bit and we can let the bridges, you know, hopefully they won't fall this year and eventually you know and we don't fund the pension plan you know we make promises to people that we'll have a pension for them but we don't put the money in that's necessary to keep the pension going so we're not and then you know we're we're not taking the carbon out of the air or preventing it from getting in there so you know we said well you know maybe next year we'll try to stop emissions and and try to reverse the the curve but we haven't and we talk about windmills but this year or last year latest year we have uh there was more new power supply from new coal plants than there was from new windmills and solar energy and there was more from natural gas than there was from windmills and solar energy so while it's nice that we have windmills they're not replacing anything we're not using less coal and and natural gas because we're using windmills we're using more of everything And, um, and as long as we don't have to pay all the bills that come with that, uh, whether in the form of the health from using too much soybeans, or the climate change from using too you know, burning too many fossil fuels, it looks great today.
1: You know, Dick, I find it, I find it interesting that you stated at the beginning of this part of our conversation that you, you don't think there's anything immoral about it. And I'm not, I don't want to pass a moral judgment here on the call today, but I do think that there is a question, a moral question here with regard to using a disproportionate amount of energy and in essence, taking that energy away from other life, other bodies of creation that also need it and be that other people and other nations or be that the trees that took a long time to grow that are no longer there and the animals that lived in those trees the hundreds of animals that lived in each tree yeah i think that it is worth asking is there an immoral piece of our lives today with using this vast amount of energy that is leading towards a a future that we can't predict and or that we i don't want to summarize it exactly but i do think there's a moral question here with regard to The energy that we're using and what it means to others because we live we live in a shared world
0: aha you cracked the code (laughs) congratulations (laughs) um because because what i was saying and and is that from the standpoint of your family you know i don't think it is immoral for you to want to have a nice vacation the five of you or have a nice dinner out or drive a nice car what is immoral and unsustainable is that it doesn't work and the on a grand scale the more you do this now the worse the future looks for your twins right so you are and we have the great insect apocalypse which people don't notice but when i was growing up or you know particularly the the age of your son not necessarily even the age of you After you did a Sunday drive, it was always my job to clean the bugs off the windshield. And there were special products for cleaning the bugs off the windshield. And now you can go for a year without having to clean any bugs off the windshield because there aren't any bugs anymore. And the number of insects is down 75% in, in many environments, whether it's the, you know, the bees and the butterflies or just almost anything. And nobody knows why. So, there are a lot of of impacts now as you said to the rest of the life on earth that we tend to value much less than we value people but they they do not have a, a value of zero and we are um, you know acting like the only thing that matters here is us and we are acting as though the only you know sort of like the this you know the The line in in the musical Rent where it says there's no day but today, that tends to be how we live. And, you know, I understand what they're saying in that play, but we act as though that's how we can afford to live. And somehow something will happen so that we're okay, or our children are okay, or our grandchildren or our pets or our trees when if we pay any attention to it, we know that they won't be. So, yes, there is a mammoth morality issue, which I'm happy that you brought up, when you look at the impact of what we're doing. What I was saying is that the, the action itself, you know, wanting to have good food and indoor plumbing and warm, you know, a warm house, that isn't immoral. But the problem is that the way we go about getting it turns out to be both very immoral and, and totally unsustainable.
1: Well, it's time for us to...
0: I I never, I never, I just wanted to point out that I never get invited back to cocktail parties.
1: This is not an uplifting. Um, I I do not feel uplifted at this moment. (laughs) There is that.
0: No, I think, think, you know, it's very hard. And even the people who claim to be, you know, who are genuinely concerned about environmental issues are still talking about the necessity for growth and how we're going to have smart growth or we're going to have sustainable growth. Well, sustainable growth is impossible because if you simply uh compound interest at three percent it means that in 100 years you've got 16 times as much as you started with and in 200 years you got 250 times as much as you started with so even you know three percent growth cannot be sustainable and at some point you know there's a rule of thumb uh, herb stein wrote a that said if something cannot go on forever it will stop and the question is do we stop it or do we let it stop us and once you understand how that works it's very hard to be sort of routinely optimistic and wonder whether i ought to be putting my money into uh emerging market uh stocks or you know housing reits or something so i think that the but 50 years ago, if you had cancer, the doctors would not tell you that you had cancer. They might tell your spouse or they might tell somebody else, but they'd think, well, gee, if I don't tell you, then you won't get discouraged. And then gradually people just realize that if I know, then I can participate much more actively in my care and I can make things better than if I am simply a passive recipient of somebody else's medical decisions and I think that that's important now that we know what's happening and that we don't pretend it's not and uh, knowing what's coming means that we can take steps now to make things better than they would otherwise have been and that I think is the goal of all planning is to make the future better than it would have been if you didn't do planning Mm. and I think whether whether you buy into worldview two and the things I've been talking about the environment or not I think a very good definition of planning is simply to help someone live a better life than they would have lived if they didn't have planning Mm -hmm. and so independent of the worldview two conversation that that's where the value of, of financial planning rests and that's where you know a lot of phonology Is about understanding where the interventions can be positive and where they might not be. And where, you know, what kinds of decisions can you ask a client to make? And what's gonna be effective in changing behavior? Those are important questions that we've struggled with for 25 years at the Nasruden Project, I think, with some success. So whether or not you're, you know, focused on, on climate and energy, there is still an important role for helping people make good decisions. And I think that that's what the financial planning world ought to be all about. And that's what, you know, Phenology and the work of Dick Wagner was yeah. all about.
1: That intersection of how money can help us navigate life with grace. Uh huh. Dick, thank you so much for this time together, for your thoughts, your energy. It's always a pleasure to be with you. And this well, thank you. This has been very interesting. I'm confident that our listeners will agree. And it seems a little unfortunate that we can't have an empowering takeaway with regard to some of this Worldview 2 stuff. But I think that I think that what it comes down to is understanding what resources we do have. And how we can cultivate what planning means and how we can cultivate our own, our own ability to navigate life with grace. Be that as we need access, we need resources and be our mm-hmm. access to those resources, be through money or our community is yet to be seen down the road. But that's what we can do is understand that wealth is not held wholly in money and that cultivating our other resources of wealth is an important final step.
0: Yes. And, and ultimately an important financial step. I mean, if you think about the people who are, who have been getting flooded out of their homes for the last several months, you know, the, the, The image that we always like to see, and it often is effective, are the people, you know, the community coming together to fill sandbags, to build the levees, to protect the homes. Nobody's getting paid to do that. I mean, somebody has to buy the sandbags, but basically this is, you know, neighbors helping each other and people knocking on each other's doors as the uh, fire comes through the the town in California. It's a lot easier to do that if you know who those neighbors are. And I think that uh, that is a, you know, those are important values that we as financial planners can encourage our clients to participate in, whether it's through joining a, uh, you know, volunteer fire department, joining a church, participating in a food bank, supporting a farmer's market, becoming physically fit yourself, taking care of your own fire risk or flood risk, those are all things that are not necessary. you know, that you can do whether you've got a little bit of money or a lot of money, but are going to greatly enhance, you know, your personal well being and the personal well being of the people you care about. You know, so I think it is possible to have a positive outcome, you know, and, and recommendations from this and that a planning process that includes all the forms of wealth is something that will serve everybody well in the years to come
1: beautifully said i love that well let's sign off for today and dick thank you again very much and um well i'll see you in nasruden in september
0: sounds like a great idea thanks an awful lot natalie
1: thank you dick be well I want to thank the What Is Phynology team, co-founder and curator, Jacob Wagner, senior assistant, Natasha Hoggett, and project producer, Gail Pelsu. This episode of the What Is Phynology podcast is dedicated to our guiding light, the father of phynology and co-founder of this project, Richard Wagner. Without you, this doesn't happen. And thank you to you, our listeners, This conversation needs you. Please send us your thoughts and questions at whatisfinology.org or on Facebook. I'm Natalie Wagner-Willis. As always, be well.